Oh, man. So I was reading this morning, Jeremiah chapter 10. Uh, the nations have a bunch of idols, but God's word says they're like scarecrows. They can't speak. They have to be carried. They can't walk. Uh, you don't have to be afraid of them because they can't do anything. But there is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? And uh, we just actually said that. We're, we're going to join with all creation. You just sang those words. Like we get to join in all creation singing to the king of the nations, even if the nations don't yet even submit to his rule. But we get to be a part of uh, breaking in the kingdom of God here on earth in the church. And uh, we partner together with others that, that have a, a like-minded uh, and, a, and a same heartbeat of wanting to make sure that God's glory is displayed in all all creation. And so uh, the ways that we do that, we are uh, together, we partner with the Great Commission Collective and other churches that want to help plant more churches that really exist for the glory of God. And uh, one of our strategic partners, I feel like, I, I know it's been, like, how long has it been since you've been here? Like a year, two years? It's two been years. a little while. Yeah, like two that. years. Yeah. But I feel like we don't even need to introduce you because everybody knows you and loves you. We're so thankful uh, that Nate and Marie could be here with us. And uh, they're coming all the way from Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia and love what God is doing over there. It's one of our most strategic partnerships that we have. And this guy's just become a dear friend. Cannot wait for you to open up God's word. So thank you for this. Love you, man. Love you, man. Would you guys just join in and thanking Nate and Marie for being here? Yeah. Good morning. It's so good to be with you. Uh, I just want to give fair warning at the very beginning. Your pastor said to me, just preach as long as it takes. And then I saw that he provides a bed for those who, uh, who need to fall asleep in the middle of that. So I'm really confident that I can go as long as I want. You just have to walk past the pastor to get to the bed, which I understand is a little prohibitive. So no, it's great that you guys can be here. And I know there's a play, school play going on and, uh, and it's, it's uh, a little different than normal, but um, man, we're so glad to be here. Um, so my name is Nate, and I'm the pastor at Harvest Bible Chapel in Kuala Lumpur. If I haven't met you yet, I look forward to maybe after the service. I want to introduce my family to you a little bit. Uh, instead of making them stand and be embarrassed, since I have teenagers now, that matters. Um, I just put their picture up on the screen. Uh, so this is a recent family uh, shoot that is actually the city. That's not a green, green screen. That is the city right behind us. And uh, so my son Josiah is 15. My daughter Ella is uh, 13, almost 14. My son Aaron is nine, and uh, that's my screensaver right there. Um, so love them dearly. But that's my family. Uh, my wife and I, Marie, have been married for 20 years as of Wednesday, and um, we celebrated by going separate ways. She went to New York City with the girls. I went to Gettysburg with the boys. We'll figure out celebration later, um, but it is, uh, yeah, by God's grace, he's, he's led us um, together and to work together in the, city of, in, in the city of KL. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. I know mo you're, you're uh, world travelers for the most part, but where is Malaysia? Some, I get that question pretty often, and so let's just get that out of the way. Malaysia is a country in Southeast Asia. It's those yellow, two yellow sections there in Southeast Asia. If we zoom in a little bit closer, you'll see the city of Kuala Lumpur is that black star there. Uh, it's a city of almost 10 million people um, in Southeast Asia. It competes with Singapore all the time. It's kind of like big brother, little brother type of thing. And um, they think, KL thinks they're the big brother. Um, and so, uh, but most people hear Singapore, obviously. And so that's where we serve geographically. That's where we are. And, um, and that's kind of significant because um, Acts actually says uh, a lot about the way borders are made. Did you know that? 
Um, that the way the shape of the countries and the nations and the borders are predetermined by God. Uh, Paul was preaching in uh, Athens, and in Acts chapter 17, uh, he says, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. We know that that's God creating man. Uh, that's our origins. Uh, God created us, um, and uh, there's a lot to be unpacked there. But the next verse really uh, applies to us today. It says, he determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place place. And that's fascinating when you think about walls in Mexico and things going all over the world, refugees and various things like that. God has determined that at this period of time, these would be the borders. He's sovereignly in control of all of those things. And you say, well, why? Why would he create the borders at this time in this way? It says that people would seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. And so it's just interesting because borders matter in a lot of different ways, but they matter a lot to God. The way he has the shape of the borders right now is so that people would seek him and find him, and the shape of the borders are actually part of his plan in that. And so when you look at a map of the world, and if you were to take a look at this map and you would see, let's pretend like those are churches all over the world, and if you look down over here, this would be like Kuala Lumpur, right? I told you geographically where that was. Um, is it significant that there's a church in Kuala Lumpur? And the answer is yes. Here's why. If you were to draw a circle around Kuala Lumpur, about a six-hour plane ride, and, and, and you were just to put that circle on the map, this is research from the New York Times, this isn't me, this is uh, good reporting that is telling us this, there's something super significant about this circle. Do you know what it is? It's this. More people live inside that circle than outside of that circle. 52% of the world's population live inside that circle, and our church, Harvest KL, is right in the middle of all of it. And so for us, that really helps us when it comes to vision and mission and all the things that we are about. We just realize we are right in the middle of 52% of the world's population, which is scary, scary, admittedly. That's a lot of people to have to, have to work with and, and to have to deal with. Um, you know, we are, as North Americans, we... Uh, so many times focus on ourselves, we're, we're kind of a superpower, we think a lot of ourselves, and we think a, we're the leading nation of the world, but again, if you were to look at population, and you know how you can draw a map to kind of uh, draw out certain things? If we were to draw a map to the scale of the population on each continent, it would look like this. Now notice where we are, standing right now here today. North America is about the tiniest dot on the map. And you just think about population and where most of the world is. Now, for sure, North America needs to be reached. For sure, South America needs to be reached. For sure, Africa needs to be reached. But listen, if we're going to be strategic about reaching the world, 52% of the world's population lives within my, the, the, a six-hour flight of my church. 61% of the world are on my side of the world, if you will. Like, it's important the way God has drawn borders and the way, where he has placed people at this particular time. And so the question then just goes, who's going to reach this part of the world? And the answer partly is, and I say partly because we are not the end-all, be-all of churches, but the answer is Harvest KL. That's why we are where we are. That's why this church exists in this place, and, and I would just suggest to you that God has placed us there for this time, for this reason, for these things. We have to be about this. And so I wanted to just give you a, a picture of our church through the video, through some of the slides that you're looking at right here. This is Harvest KL. 
a multi multicultural church. There's about 30, 35 different nationalities that show up at our church on a Sunday morning. Uh, right now, we're, our average is about 230 people uh, that show up at our church on a, on a Sunday from all over the world. And our desire is that they would become disciples of Jesus Christ who would glorify God in such a way that our part of the world would have more people who follow Jesus Christ. And so that's where we are and who we are. But it's interesting it's not just us who are over there in that part of the world, but there's others who will help reach this part of the world. When I ask the question, who will reach this part of the world, you've already answered. You've already been a part of that. Last year, there was, or just a couple months ago, you sent a team of folks to KL, and there's, you have a lot of familiar faces in that, in that picture. Um, that was the team that came and helped us do a, a ministry and outreach to Farsi-speaking, mostly Iranians in our city around their most significant holiday, the Iranian New Year. And, uh, and they were there for uh, about a week or so. They're standing right on my balcony that looks right into the city of KL. And, um, and we had such a great time, and we're so thrilled that your church has invested in this part of the world. And so even as I preach a message today, one of the things that I'm well aware of is that you've kind of already answered the message. You've kind of already know what I'm going to say. And, and so I feel like today I'm just going to try to shore up the foundation and you already know these things. You've already acted on these things. You've already sacrificed for these things. But if we could just put into scriptural context, uh, what does the Bible say about a church like yours, sending a team of people to a church like mine? What does it mean that we would have a continued relationship and maybe future trips or future ways that we will, by the way, mutually help one another? It's not just hopefully one way. And in all of that, what does God say about these things? Let me pray, and then I'll teach you from God's word this as well. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the privilege it is to worship you. Lord, we, we cannot go past this moment and not thank you for creating us, for before time knowing that you would redeem us and bring us into relationship with you, that you've given us good works to walk in. Lord, you prepared those things before time began. We just simply now get the privilege of worshiping you and carrying out your plan and your purpose at this allotted time around the borders that we currently function in in this world. And we thank you and praise you for the significance that comes from being able to serve you in this way. Lord, would you build us by your spirit according to your word. It's in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So everybody have a copy of the Bible? And you're allowed to have fake Bibles. If you have your phone, that's okay. And uh, if you go to Col the book of Colossians, uh, I want to show you from the last few verses of this particular book of the Bible, uh, something really significant. Uh, if you look at this particular uh, portion of the Bible, you, what you have is at the end of all of Paul's letters, there's, there's like these names and there's these lists. And what exactly is Paul saying here? Well, uh, commentators often say, well, now we know the historical context and we have greater understanding of, of, what the, uh, of when the word of God was written, greater confidence that these things are historical and true. And I believe all that's there, but I think they completely miss the point. Really, what I think that is, Paul is trying to teach us in this is that mission is a community project. And that churches like yours and mine, when we partner together, actually glorify God in a greater way and are more effective for the purpose that he has for us. Now, this is important when we think about this community project aspect in a number of different levels. Some of it's just kind of logical. 
Um, have you ever tried to complete something, or complete a project or, or something significant, and you've tried to do it alone, and you failed miserably? When I was uh, in Chicago in seminary, we had bought a little townhome, and uh, our, our kitchen was this galley kitchen that was in desperate need of being remodeled. And so we were able to find a deal on some cabinets, and, and uh, I was trying to resell the place. And I thought, okay, uh, uh, my dad's a handyman. I, I, I can just kind of follow what he da- does. And so I sent my, my family to live with my parents for a week, and I ripped the kitchen out, and then I had to put it back together. Now, some things went well, but when I got to sweating pipe and actually doing the plumbing thing, like I was so, such a wreck, I, I, I needed help. Actually, I quit that, and I went to install my, my garbage disposal under my sink, and I remember I started it at about 2 a.m., and it was 5.30 before I was done that garbage disposal. Like, I really didn't know what I was doing, and it would have been super helpful if I could have called a friend at that moment. And actually, that's what I had to do to finish the project. I could have never got the plumbing done, except for one of the guys in my church knew what he was doing, came over, helped me out, was able to get that done. You know, doing things alone can be a problem sometimes, actually many times. And I love that my kids, one of their kids, my, the values at our kids' school is learning how to collaborate constructively. Actually, that's an important skill in the world that we live in together. How do, how do we teach people to work together? Well, that's what I think Paul is trying to do at the end of this particular book. He's trying to teach people how to work together. He's trying to show a model of how these things have been done and, and saying you should repeat these things as well. When we try to fulfill the Great Commission, our mission individually, we will fall short. But when we collaborate constructively, when we see that mission is a community project, there is a chance that we can follow the way Paul and his teams did things, the way Jesus actually set things up, and ultimately the way God wants us to complete the mission together in these ways. So Colossians chapter 4, let's start at verse 7, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter here this morning. It says in verse 7, Titius will tell you all about my activities He is a beloved brother and a faithful ministry and and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. As does Demas, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read at the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you have fulfilled the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I get to sections of it like Leviticus, and I just kind of skip, right? I get to all the genealogies, and it's just kind of like, eh, I don't really need, I can't even say their names. 
And so we just kind of move past that. And you could be tempted to do that to the end of Colossians as well. But when, when Paul wrote this letter, he had this great purpose that it was really kind of a climactic point to the letter as a whole. He starts out in chapter 1, and he's, he's helping them see the supremacy of Jesus Christ over everything. And then he talks about the sufficiency of Christ to grow us up into maturity in him through grace. He tells us that really our relationship with God is not about religious activity. It's not about being super spiritual. It's about clinging to the one who is greater than anything else that is Christ. That's chapters one and two kind of put together. In chapter three, he tells us as a result of that, then you have a completely new way of looking at life. You have a completely new identity, in fact. You, you are to put off the old ways of doing things, put on the new man, uh, which is like the image of Jesus Christ. And then he shows us not only how we're supposed to do that in community, but he says, in your marriage, it should look different. And in your parenting, it should reveal itself. And in how you work or how you lead a workplace environment, all of that should change how you do those things. Now, I don't get to preach all of that this week. But, but at the end, he says, in all of that, it should be so that we are a witness to others. And he says, pray for me that I would be a witness of the gospel. And then he tells us at the very end, it, it, you think it kind of falls off the table, but really it's this building to this moment of how to do this together. And so Paul mentions 10 people who are not acquaintances of his, but who are friends, people that he knows and cares deeply about. And in that, we see mission is a community project. Let me show you three ways that that reveals itself in this passage. If you're taking notes, I believe there's an app or something you can do that, or maybe just a piece of paper. Um, we can do that here. These three things really come from good work done by a man named Brian Hedges in his, in his work, Christ All-Sufficient. But number one, it says this, the kingdom of God advances through spiritual friendships. That's not what we'd always, all the time expect it to be. We would think, wait, the spirit of God, or the kingdom of God is going to advance by, by the Holy Spirit, by prayer, by, we, we, we move immediately to those types of things, but really what this passage is showing us is that it's advancing through spiritual friendships. Paul lists these 10 people who are friends, who, are, who he has a personal relationship with and played an important role on his teams and in his life and ministry, and, and he kind of puts three groups together. The first group is this Titius and Onesimus. Notice what he says about them in verse 7. Titius, he says, is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. Don't skip over those words. He's, he's saying, I, this is like one of my lifetime living, walking heroes. Like, Titius is a great friend of mine. That's what he's saying. And then he says, he goes on down in verse 9, and he says, And with him is Onesimus, who is our faithful and beloved brother. Now, if you read kind of the next books of the New Testament, you realize Onesimus was not faithful in any way. And he was not loved at all by anybody in the church at Colossians because he was a slave who had escaped one of the members of that church and had fled to Rome. And, and that's where he met Paul and he heard the gospel and he believed and Paul was sending him back. There's a whole letter, the book of Philemon is written to restore that relationship. And, and so it would have been so surprised. Onesimus, he's not, well, faithful, uh, beloved. Paul, you're crazy. But Paul's saying, no, he's my friend. He's my friend. 
and he's changed and he's different because of Jesus. And, and so my friend is coming back to you and I want you to know his character is now faithful and, belo- and a beloved brother of mine. Group number two is interesting. It's three Jewish men. The, these were Paul's travel companions. He says they're men of the circumcision. So Aristarchus and Mark and Justice are mentioned. These are, these are travel companions who he says comforted him. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're ever in a situation where you need comfort and then somebody actually delivers that comfort, you're like, oh, man, I'm just so grateful. I'm just so glad he was there at that moment. I mean, this is somebody who is valuable in personal relationship to Paul. And so these are three men who are close. They're not acquaintances, close friends. The third category of people, it's Epaphras and Luke and Demas, Nympha, Archippus. They all have the same pursuit. They're all pursuing the same thing that Paul's pursuing. The thing that Paul was after was that Christ would be known among the Jewish and Gentile churches all over the world, the mission for which we've all been called for. And these are companions. The mission has brought them together, and they become part of his team. And and in all of this, notice the words that Paul is using about them. They're words of affection. They're words of deep care for these people. Which kind of makes sense because Paul has talked about how he would do ministry and he said it would always be through relationship. Relationship was going to matter greatly to him. If you just look a page over in 1 Thessalonians, uh, we see in chapter 2 verse 8, he says, Paul, same writer, different book. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our whole selves because you had become very dear to us. Listen, mission advances through spiritual friendships. They matter immensely to God and how it goes on. The point that Paul is making here is that I have deep, genuine, rich friendships. Even though we move all over the world and it's hard to see each other and we don't always get to catch up with one another, when we visit, it's the best of times because we love each other and we've invested in each other and you matter to each other. And that only makes sense because you think about our model is Jesus Christ, right? And when Jesus came to earth, I mean, he could have done it so many different ways. He could have just sent an email to all of us. He could have been the most followed Instagram person. He could have just tweeted it out to it, whatever it was, but he didn't. He actually came and dwelt among us and lived among us. God putting on flesh to be with us. Relationship matters. He, he, he would have crowds of people show up, but the crowds didn't really matter to him. Not, not, not in a relationship type of way. And, and so what he, we find is that he pulls some of those people out and he calls them his disciples. And, and it's not just talking about the 12. You understand there's groups of disciples, like 140 disciples, and there's groups of 70 disciples. And then, and then there is groups of 12. They're the most famous, right? But did you know even within the 12, he had some friends who were even closer than the rest? You know that he had three who were really important to him? And the three who he was like at his most intense moment, come, we have to pray before I go to the cross. Pray for me. And they totally failed in that, right? But, but it didn't matter what he's saying here. We, we talk about their failure all the time, but I also want you to see it shows that Jesus needed friends when he was on earth too. And Jesus is a model of how to have friends and how important it is to have friends to advance his mission here on earth. So we just have to come to this conclusion. You and I, we need friends. Now that's not rocket science. 
I think you would have known that before you came to church today. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence in any way, but, uh, but sometimes it's helpful to be reminded of, of the value of friendship, the importance of friendship, because sometimes we just kind of let friendship kind of just happen. It just happens to us. We're not actually concentrating on, uh, on building friendships the way that we should and the way that we need. And in all of this show here, I just want you to see here, Paul's not just listing the amount of likes that he got on social media here. He's saying, these are people that matter to me. These are real, true, godly people who I have friends with. People that I really know. People who know me. People who are pointing each other to Christ. That's real friendship. The problem is, we don't always make good decisions when it comes to our friends. <laughs> so I have three kids, and I'm always trying to help them understand this. And, and sometimes this has been hard because, particularly when you're in an international setting, you go to an international school, and you, you walk into a bunch of classmates who you've never met, and they're from all over the world, and some of them kind of speak English, and some of them don't. And, and, and you have to navigate the friendship thing, and, and that's hard to do for anybody, right? And, and so sometimes our kids would have begun to be friends with some people who don't treat them the way friends are supposed to treat one another. And, and, and some people are just built with like, like, well, forget you, I'm out of here, right? And others of us just continue to be friends even though it's not a good friendship. And so teaching our kids how to develop good friendships, how to reciprocate, how, how to see when there's behavior that isn't friendship you, and trying to navigate those things is really important. I think that's true for all of us. I've been trying to help my kids understand, find ferociously godly people, and that means they love God and they love you. But in teaching them that that's what they should be looking for, I remember uh, my grandmother my grandma Ruby is actually here with us today, and uh, she, uh, I remember she, she would dole out advice to us as, as grandkids to her. She told my sister one time, don't kiss every pig that comes down the alley. Um, that's, that's a pretty good one. Um, but, but of course, also, in, in the midst of those kind of unique ones, there's ones your grandma probably said too. It, it, it was um, uh, to be a friend, or to have a friend, you need to be a friend. And so I would even suggest the focus isn't like, do I have, can I find ferociously godly people who love God and me, but rather, am I somebody who ferociously loves God and loves others as well? Again, that's hard. Some of you are here and you're like, I don't like being around people. They've hurt me. I don't know how to make this always work. And, and so some of us like to be alone. And I would just say to you, lovingly, that's not healthy. Maybe you've been hurt and you've walled yourself off and there's maybe even some really good reasons for that, but that can't be for forever. The reality is we can't do things alone. Proverbs 27, 17 says the iron sharpens iron and he's talking about men, humans, friendship, uh, sharpening each other. You become dull when you don't have other people around you. You become like the crazy cat lady or the wild conspiracy theorist, and nobody wants to be that, and yet we have to overcome sometimes. It's hard. I get it. To let somebody into my life that way, I, I, it's scary. Some of you, your issue isn't being alone. Some of you, you don't have good friends because you aren't good friends to others. And I would just suggest that when we hear a message from God's word, we don't think a lot about somebody else, even if it applies to them really well, but we think about, how does it apply to me? 
Am I the kind of person who always complains? It's always negative when people are around me. I spend a lot of times tearing other people's down because somehow it makes me feel like I'm a little better. And in all of that, you're somebody who is wearing others out. Like that's not really what the friendship that's being described here is supposed to look like. Here's one last category. I'm not saying that this is all the categories. Here's one other category. Some people hide behind lots of people. Some of you have lots of people around you, and everybody thinks that you have lots of friends. They're just everybody's around you. You, But the reality is you're afraid to let the real you be known, and you protect yourself by having so many people who know you that nobody knows you well. That's a version of doing relationship that I would suggest needs to change. And so we keep our guard up by being popular, and we say in our minds, this is not right. I will be what you want me to be so that you stay my friend. That's not healthy friendships. The reality is, if you were honest, you're probably a little bit miserable, actually quite lonely, and sick of all the fakeness that's going on. And so... In these three categories, I would just suggest that those are things that, that, that's not the kind of friendship that Paul's talking about here. He's actually showing something that that is incredibly different. There's this close intimacy. There's this walking alongside each other, knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses, knowing what you want to put on social media and all the things you would never put on social media. They know all of that. You think, okay, but how do I get that kind of friendship? I think our society actually is missing how to get there. And could I just suggest to you that the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ gives you the ability to have that kind of deep, intimate relationship. It gives freedom, this relationship with Christ, it gives you freedom to have deep relationships with other people because Jesus, think about this, is, who believes Jesus is God here? And who believes that God knows everything? And so think about that. God knows everything about you. Jesus knows all the dirt in your life, all the skeletons in the closet, all the things you wouldn't want anybody to know, all the things that you think, if I told somebody that, they wouldn't like me. He knows all of that, and he loves you immensely. And so when I say that Jesus gives you the freedom to have this kind of intimate relationship, I'm saying as you build a relationship with, with somebody who knows everything about you, that being Jesus, it allows you to learn how to have a friendship with somebody over here that you can start to reveal everything about yourself, even the dark things, even the ugly things, and all of that because we're going to see a little bit later in the message how, how the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms and your identity is not all of those things and you can actually live in relationship with others in the freedom of Christ who, and they can know all of those things, but you're all living under the gospel. Hang on, we'll get there, okay? But in all of this, we need friends. So let me just ask you today, do you have real, genuine, godly, honest friendships? It's kind of a loaded statement, so think about that again. Do you have real friends? Do you have genuine friendships? It's kind of the same, but a little different. Do you have godly friendships? You're not just talking about sports or the greatest cooking show or whatever it is. You're godly friendships. Are you honest in your friendships? 
I don't ask you those things to make you feel bad, by the way. I, I ask you to do the evaluation of those things because maybe you're somebody here who is alone or, or maybe you're here and you know you've not been the best of friends. You've actually kind of been a bad friend or maybe you're hiding in a gazillion friendships and you long for real friendships like this. I'm here to help you do the evaluation of this, to help you see that those aren't going to be enough. They're not going to be adequate for Christ's mission, which is a community project, which advances through spiritual friendships. So we're talking about real friendships. We're not talking about fake friendships. We're not talking about we'd get along with each other. We're, not, we're talking real friendships. That's how the mission advances. And so we have to do that evaluation and just kind of take stock and say, I got to admit, I'm not where I should be. And I need to grow in friendships. And I need the freedom of a Christ-centered relationship. And all of that, I would say, be that kind of friend. And help others be that friend. And within, Har within Harvest Fairfax, you're going, to you're going to form the relationships that are vital for your well-being, as well as for the mission of Christ to advance. I mean, the reality is it's a little bit self-serving. I'm just going to own up to that right now. That's why I'm here. I'm here because your church has befriended me and my family. It's kind of amazing uh, how that all has happened. But it's with great joy that we come to Harvest Fairfax. Yeah, all, a number of you have said, thank you so much for coming the distance to be here. And I'll just tell you, like, this is what we want to do. We would like to be here. This isn't hard for us at all. Because you've been such good friends to us. You've demonstrated that just by the way that you love us and accept us and the way that you've sent sacrificially people to help us. Like we get that you are already doing these things in so many different ways, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't take stock for a moment and say, can we do this in a different way with each other among our own community? And then can that become contagious to others like a church in Malaysia? You're already doing it, but can we continue to grow in that would be the question. Mission is a community project because it requires, and it requires friendship. But there's something else that's being shown to us by Paul here. So let's look back again at the text. Here's the second point here this morning. God uses a diversity of gifts to advance the gospel. So, so not only the fact that Jeff and I, Pastor Jeff and I, have begun to form a friendship, but Jeff and I are different guys. Now, he's trying to look like me, but his wife won't let him, I heard. And, and, and that's okay. It's okay that we're different, right? And, and, and it's okay that we have different gifts. And I just got to tell you, like, um, I, I've been getting to know Jeff over the last three years or so. He is a fantastic pastor. He loves the Lord. He loves you. God's gifted him and skilled him in such a way that, that I just got to tell you, like, I felt bad that you had to hear me preach today because I've heard him preach and he's a fantastic preacher. And in all of that, God has gifted your church something really good. But, but you know what? It's not just Jeff that he's gifted this church with. He's gifted this church with all of you as well. And as good as God's using his gifts for this church, he's using, I know, all of you in this. I just prayed with a team of people before this church service all began, and they're all like, all right, break. They all go different ways. Children's ministry, setup, and production. And, and like, this doesn't happen unless there is diverse gifts being used together for the mission of Christ right here in Fairfax. 
And this is what Paul is trying to point out in this. He's saying that everyone has an indispensable role to fulfill in the Great Commission efforts that we are about. Look here at verse 7. It talks about this fellow servant. In verse 10, this fellow prisoner. In verse 13, this servant of Christ, as somebody who's just working, and this idea of servant, somebody who is lowly doing the worst of the worst types of job, but loving doing that. Servant type of person, right? And they're all supporting Paul, and Paul is supporting them. You have to realize that when we get this list of 10 names, we're we're getting uh, only a small portion of the apostolic team that Paul was actually leading. There was probably about 60 people, when we read the New Testament, that were supporting Paul and doing all sorts of different things. Some of them were traveling companions. Luke was writing down all that Paul wrote. That's why we have all these letters in the New Testament. We see here that some of them are are providing financially. Uh, He has... He has business women up in, in, uh, in, in uh, Philippians. Where was that? Philippi. <laughs> and so you have to recognize his team is about 60 people. Like we think, oh, Apostle Paul, he's like the greatest missionary. And yes, he is. But not without 60 people who were supporting him to do that work, using their gifts and abilities to do this. So we see that Titius here, he's somebody who is an encourager. He's also playing the role of a mailman. What I love about that is it's an encourager of the greatest missionary is like a really high position in the kingdom of God, but like delivering a letter to the Colossians is like just mailman. It's really low. And he's both of those things. It shows his heart and how he's serving in that. We see Onesimus. We already talked about him. He's a reporter and a mailman. Uh, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice are traveling companions. They're doing the administration and serving and supporting him in all the roles of, of his travels. Epaphras is really important. We see actually Epaphras in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, and we find out he's actually the guy who planted the church in Colossae. He, he's the church planter for the, let, for the church that this letter is being written to. Paul didn't plant the church in Colossae. He, Epaphras did, but he met Paul in Rome when Paul was in prison, and they, they had fellowship together, and, and now he, it seems like he was asked to write a letter to the Colossians, so don't get that mixed up. Epaphras is the church planter, and in all of that, it, it, look what it says in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, he's a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness him that he has worked hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. He seems like he's planted two other churches as well. This guy is actually, I think, one of the heroes of the Bible. When you see that he is a servant, even though he could have high position in the church. And he's somebody who is a prayer warrior. You see what he's doing, it says? It says that he's struggling on your behalf in prayers. I mean, this guy is a prayer warrior. He's praying for them constantly, even though he's not with them at this time. And then it says, I'm just going to bear witness to the fact that he's a super hard worker. And in all of this, we see him using his gifts for this. Luke is the doctor, the historian, the scholar who wrote it all down. Nympha is creating hospitality. She's creating a space for ministry to happen. So many times we don't think that hospitality matters. It matters immensely to the New Testament church. To have people who create space for ministry to happen. You might be a small group host. You might be somebody who just opens your home. You might be somebody who takes people to lunch after church just to welcome them in. That's this type of person, immensely invaluable, immensely uh, important to the team that's going on. And in all of this, we're seeing many gifts but one body, which that's kind of repeated in Scripture a few times, right? 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, 4 to 12 talks all about this. And it talks about how all these diverse parts work together for one body. And all of the diversity of these gifts are needed to advance the mission. So there's no role that's too small or too insignificant. The fact of the matter is sometimes we rank our roles and we think, wow, yeah, that Pastor Jeff, like he's really important in the church. We wouldn't have somebody teach if it wasn't for him. And that's not true. There's other people who could teach. There's other people in this room who could teach. Now, I think it's good that God has called him to be the primary teacher of this church. I'm not trying to diminish him at all in all of that. I'm just trying to help you understand that what Jeff does up here on Sunday morning is not more important than what you do back in children's ministry or greeting people at the door or whatever it is that you serve that nobody sees behind the scenes and the screen here, whatever it is. It's not insignificant. The fact of the matter is we all have small roles to play in the kingdom of God, which is so great and large. Let it not be us who thinks that we are doing something significant on our own. In all of this, I would just tell you we need teammates. It takes all kinds of people and gifts and abilities to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ. And I... I, Part of my roles here today is not just to teach you God's word, but help you see what's going on in our church in Kuala Lumpur. And, uh, and I'm so happy to report that there are teammates working together for the gospel in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, about three years ago, I was meeting with a group of pastors who were reading a book together. And at the end of the book, we kind of all looked at each other and said, we should do something more than just read a book and encourage one another together. And so we formed what's called the Gospel City Network. This is a network of about 25 churches in the city of Kuala Lumpur that that have a like-mindedness to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ through helping existing churches plant churches, as well as just producing Christian content in our churches. If you go back one picture, um, you'll see there, uh, uh, this is the board of our church, of, of this particular network. These are men that come from all different walks of life, all different denominations that are working together to advance the gospel. They're, they're teammates working together for this cause. And in this, our church is beginning to play a little bit of a role. So right at the end of June, we held a conference. Uh, J.D. Greer came to Malaysia, and he was our speaker. And, and this is a couple pictures of that, but you notice in the lower right-hand corner here, those three individuals are our worship team from Harvest KL. My church's worship team got to lead the worship at this conference that was a citywide conference. About 400 people were there, and I was so thrilled. Like, I was praying for this opportunity for actually over a year. God, could you help our church, who is learning and growing of what passionate worship is, could you help our church rub off on a lot of churches in Kuala Lumpur who don't understand passionate worship? The reality is most conferences that are done, there might be like one song played, usually a hymn with a guitar, and then we get down to the real business of teaching God's word. And I'm like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Like glorifying God with our heart, soul, and mind, with everything that we are is supposed to be how we actually live out these things. When we gather together to worship him, that should be a highly expressive, motivating time. And it never was at these conferences. And so we were able to lead worship. And I just got to tell you, at the end of it, the people were coming to our worship team like, oh, what was that song? Oh, that was, that was really helpful. Uh, oh, I'm so glad that we got to do that. And at, uh, super excited. I'm not trying to brag. But at the end of it, 
two of the key leaders of not just Malaysia, but Southeast Asia. The man on the left is Guna Raman. He's the CEO of City to City Asia Pacific. And then the, uh, Pastor Wong is right here in the middle. He's like the most influential evangelical pastor in the city of Kao. They're like, hey, what was going on with that worship thing? And I was telling him about our worship philosophy and how we build to the top of the hill and how we want to work uh, to invite people in and then have testimony songs and repentance and pure adoration. And, and they were like, wow, somebody has actually thought through this like this is like we need to help other churches get that so I tell you that not to say like wow look at our church because we're still growing don't hear that wrong we have a long way to go in learning what it is to be a true worshiper but in all of that we're starting to be used in a regional in a city type of way just through one aspect worship in that way we're using our gifts and abilities for that very same thing so let me just ask you this morning, how has God gifted you to play a role in advancing the gospel? How have you been able to be used on a team of people here at Harvest Fairfax for gospel purpose? Do you know what your gift is? Every believer is given one. Do you know how to find out what your gift is? Pastor Jeff and the elders can teach you more about that, but let me just say right now, just get involved. Serve. Start serving. That's how your gift begins to be revealed. And then as others say, wow, you're really good at fill in the blank, you begin to think, oh, you know what? I might have something here. And then as you grow in maturity in that, you get to a spot where God is using you in a really powerful way. That's how you find your gift. In all of that, I want you to see down in verse 17 a warning. It's this warning to Archippus. He says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Paul's writing this and he's saying, hey, be on the team. Don't just show up and receive. Get on the team. Get to work. Make sure that you're using the gift that you have. This ministry that you have, Archippus, you need to be doing something. Make sure that you're actually using it. And all of this, serving the cause of Christ together in a unified way is how the mission advances. And so I was asking Pastor Jeff, I was like, all right, is, uh, where in your church would you need people to serve? And he was like, well, um, actually, we need like four or five people on the setup team. And we have enough people to drive the trailer, but it'd be great if we had one more backup for that. And like Harvest Kids always needs one or two people. Like we're always needing to disciple kids. And if you're here today and you don't know what your gift is, I would just say, start serving. It doesn't matter where, just start somewhere. They'll get you redirected to the right spot if it's not where it's supposed to be. And in all of that, let God continue to grow and mature you and see how you are a valuable part of a unified team doing mission here at Harvest Fairfax. I would also invite you, if you want to be a help to us, we would love if you would pray for us on a super regular basis. We, that's the thing we most desire and want. And so we've set up this little Facebook page. If you don't like Facebook, we'll find another way to connect with you. And if you would like to connect with us and to pray for us and to be a teammate in what's going on here in Harvest KL, our number one need is prayer. And for you to be praying on a regular basis for us is a super important and helpful thing. And we would love to help you, have you join our team in that prayer aspect. Here's the last thing I want you to see. Mission is a community project. We need friends, we need teammates, but we're going to need Jesus too. Right, church, you kind of expected that, but let me show you this in, a, in the way that Paul has shown it to us here. Point number three this morning, a good finish is more important than a great start. You know that, right? A good finish is more important than a great start. What we see here is Paul contrasting two members of his team. 
And it's a little bit heartbreaking that he has to do this, but notice that there's one guy, his name is Mark. He's the cousin of Barnabas. That's important because if you remember the story of John Mark, it was a pretty shaky start. Actually, it was a rather terrible start. We see him introduced in the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 12. We see that there's a prayer meeting that is meeting at his mom's house. That's the first time Mark is mentioned in the Bible. In Acts chapter 12, verse 25, a few verses later, we see that he accompanies Paul and Barnabas to Antioch, and he's helping them. He's part of their team in the effort to get that church established. And then as Paul and Barnabas are called out to go be missionaries, he gets to be part of that team as well. That's all awesome right up until Acts chapter 13, verse 13, when we see that he's on mission with the team. They've completed the first quarter of their missionary journey, and he quits and goes back to Jerusalem. In Acts 15, verse 31, we see that there's a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And you remember what the issue was? It was Mark. Mark, uh, Barnabas wanted Mark to come with them. And Paul was like, no way, he's a quitter. We're not taking him. And they had a huge fight, so they went their separate way. They actually got different teammates and went their different ways in all of that. But that's not the end of Mark's story. 12 to 14 years later, we see him show up here at the end of the book of Colossians in verse 10. We see him being well, Paul saying, welcome this particular individual. Not only that, but at the end of in 2 Timothy verse 4, chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, bring Mark for he's very useful to me. You see, Mark had a really shaky start. He didn't understand. He wasn't mature. Whatever the reason was, he, he abandoned ship. But in the midst of that, by the end of his ministry, we see here that he's very useful to the Apostle Paul. Actually, he ends up being something, somebody really significant in the church in Colossae as well. But first, the contrast. Demas, who had a great start. He started well, but he abandoned the race before he fin- crossed the finish line. In Colossians 4.14, he's part of the team, and it's part of this being, he's part of those who are greeting the Colossian church. He seems to be somebody of standing on Paul's team. But in Philemon, 4, Philemon verse 24, we see again that he's somebody who is part of Paul's team who is greeting the household of Philemon. But in 2 Timothy 4.10, it says that Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted us and gone to Thessalonica. A good finish is more important than a great start. And the question is, how is it that we can have a good finish? How do we do that? Well, you're going to need Jesus to be able to do that. That's not going to be something you can just will yourself to. If you try to do it in your own strength, you'll probably stumble. You're going to need Jesus in this. Look at verse 18. Paul says, he's finishing well. I'm writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul is finishing in prison, but he's finishing well. He says, remember my chains, not to be passive aggressive, but he says, I'm ending like I began. Remember why I'm in chains. It's the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm sticking with it. It doesn't matter that I'm in prison. I'm more on board with this mission for him now that I'm in prison than before I was. He's finishing well in all of that. And so in Philippians, we see here him talk about this particular, particular issue. Excuse me. Get right to it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, 
says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, being in prison, has really served to advance the gospel. Fascinating that he would have that perspective. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door, open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. He's not praying to get out of prison. He's praying for more gospel opportunity even if he's in prison. And in all of that, we see that the gospel is what he is sticking with. The message of Jesus Christ is what he's sticking with. Fourteen times in the book of Colossians, Paul says, in Christ. There's something that needs to happen, and it only happens when you are in Christ, when you're clinging to the promises of who Jesus Christ is, and you're fulfilling the call of what he has commanded you to do. In all of that, one of the things that when I preached this, God, that preached this book, I was constantly repeating, is that the gospel is not just an entrance into the kingdom of God, but it is the way of life that we live each and every moment. And for sure, if we're going to finish well, Paul is modeling for us that the gospel is what we hold to. It's the thing that's transformed everybody on this list. Think about it. Paul, who is a religious terrorist who hated Jesus Christ, becomes a missionary for him and the most prolific writer of the New Testament. Epaphras, who was doing business in the city of Colossae, uh, or in the city of Ephesus, hears Paul preach the gospel and he goes to a different region and plants three more churches. Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice are Jews. They would have been resistant to who Christ claimed to be as the Messiah until they became convinced of him and then became missionaries for him. Luke is a Greek, probably never heard the gospel, just all the other gods that are out there. He was a schooled man, probably a physician, would have had a very academic look at all of this, hears about Christ, believes in him, and chronicles most of Paul's life that we have recorded in the New Testament. Mark, we've talked about youthful, lacking character, leaves a quarter of the way through the missionary journey, creates a division among the missionary team, gets reconciled, and now is an essential part of what's going on here. Onesimus is the runaway slave, useless, didn't work hard, but now is faithful, out of jail, and being returned to his master. In all of this, we see something significant about Onesimus as well. He's sent back... And not only is he called faithful, but he's, his name is interesting. His name means to be useful. And he's going to be useful for the church at Colossae because as we read what historical letters are written, we see that the letter from Ignatius says this. Ignatius wrote, I receive therefore your whole multitude in the name of God through Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love and your bishop, your pastor in the faith whom I prayed for you by Jesus Christ to love and that you would be able to seek to be like him. Onesimus goes from like the worst example, don't follow this guy, to being the pastor of the church and inexpressible love, like be, follow him, he's a great model. And what changed all of that? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus rescues us from sin and death, gives us a new start, empowers us for life and friendship and ministry together if we would but trust him. One of my great joys has been to meet a man named Chong in our church. Chong is uh, an older gentleman, and uh, I have a picture of him. Let me show you, the, uh, get to the picture. Chong is in the blue shirt right back there. 
Chong is somebody who 30 years ago was one of, part of one of the Chinese triads right in our neighborhood of where our church is. Uh, a Chinese triad's like a gang, and he was involved in some really terrible things, actually was involved in a murder. Uh, it was a murder of somebody who was significant in the community, and so he fled and he went to Hawaii. He lived there for 30 years. One day while he was walking down by the beach, somebody came to him and shared a gospel tract with him, and Chong believed Jesus. How do I know he believed Jesus? Because when he believed, he said, I can't be here anymore. I have to go back. I have to go back and face the people who I harmed so greatly, and I have to ask for forgiveness. It might cost me my life, but I'm going to do this and tell them about Jesus in the process. And so Chung came back, and he, started, he showed up at our church, and, and he said, actually, i got a story to tell you. He told me his testimony. He said, I'm actually really scared because when I came, the, the, the gang leader actually told me that I would have his protection. But he died just last week, so I don't know if I'm going to make it. We prayed and we prayed for Chong, and Chong has become this, uh, this amazing man in our church who now walks the streets of Kuala Lumpur, this, this Muslim country, and is constantly telling people about Jesus. You see, he didn't have a great start, but he's finishing well. Why? Because Jesus changed his life. Jesus changed his life so much that he was willing to die to explain this gospel message to the very people who harmed him and who he thought would retaliate to him. They haven't done it, and so he just keeps telling people about Jesus in a land where that could get you imprisoned and maybe worse very quickly. But in all of this, Jesus has changed Chong's life. So much so that we were sitting right the Sunday, right before we came to the United States, we did our little welcome lunch. We call it party with the pastor still. I don't know if you call it that. Step one, whatever it is that you do. We were sitting there at lunch, and at the end of the day, Chong was like, oh, he said to my wife, Marie, oh, you got to come over here. This is May, and May is sitting right down there in front, in the chair there. This is May. She's from China. Um, she's been hearing about Jesus for the last month that she's been coming to our church. She wants to believe Jesus. Could you pray with her? So Marie begins to be like, well, let me tell you a little bit about Jesus. Chong's like, don't worry. I told her all of that already. Just pray. <laughs> so anxious to get May to come into heaven. And so the day before we left, May entered eternity with God. She's China. She's Chinese from China. Somebody who, was, who had picked up a Bible. It was the New World Translation, so we had to change that out and get her a real Bible uh, because Jesus isn't a God. He is the Son of God. And help her to disciple her and begin that process. And that's what we're doing now here in our church. The question is, where do I need Jesus to transform me so that I can grow and be useful to him in these things? Is it in an attitude that's in your life, that you need Jesus to change? Is it in something secret, a secret sin that you just can't get out of and you just, but you know you need to change. You can't be that way anymore. Maybe it's just a resistance to Jesus, his call on your life, his mission that he wants you to move into. Where do you need Jesus to transform you and grow you? In all of this, I want you to see that mission is a community project. And at the end of Colossians is not just a historical setting, but there's a message to the heart, the heart that's asking, what is keeping you from real, honest, godly friendships? A message that's saying, how has God gifted you to play a role in his mission? A section of scripture that is asking, where do I need to be transformed by Jesus so that I can be useful for him and all that he's calling us to? Would you pray with me and ask God those questions even right now in your heart? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. 
I thank you that it doesn't just tell us historical settings and facts, but I thank you that it touches our heart. Lord, would you show us what's keeping us from real friendships? If there's anything that's blocking that, would you tear that down? And would you bring us to a place where we see the greatness of following you and how that affects being friends with others? Lord, would you show us how you've gifted us to serve in your mission? Would you show us how we could play a role right here at Harvest Fairfax and maybe even around the world? Would you, would you help us to be good teammates for the mission cause that you've given to us? Lord, where do you need to transform me? Is there anything that I need to grow in to be useful for your kingdom purposes? To be a useful friend, a useful teammate, somebody who is together following Jesus. Lord, would you reveal these things to our hearts today? And in all of that, Lord, would you continue to build your church as you promised here in Fairfax or around the world in KL? Lord, we want to be useful to you. So would you help us to see how we are part of the community project called your mission? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.